there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. Are you interested in learning more about what it's like to work in government affairs, also known as lobbying, in the healthcare field? Then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a government affairs and policy manager at the National Rural Health Association. That's a national nonprofit membership organization with more than 21,000 members. But before I introduce you to Max Isakoff, I want to make sure you've signed up to download a free copy of the Just Bro It ebook. It's got one-stop shopping career advice from some of the rock star professionals who've been guests on T4C, including NPR journalist and podcaster Guy Raz. He's the host of the How I Built This podcast and Dr. Janet Yellen, the former chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Bank. And it is so easy to do, my friends. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and you'll see the sign-up box right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Max Isakoff, the Government Affairs and Policy Manager at the National Rural Health Association. It's a national nonprofit membership organization with more than 21,000 members. The association's mission is to provide leadership on rural health issues through advocacy, communications, education, and research. NRHA membership consists of a diverse collection of individuals and organizations, all of whom share the common bond of an interest in rural health. Since he graduated from college in May 2014, Max has spent the last six years working for a member of Congress and supporting different healthcare-related membership associations, including the Medical Group Management Association, which is the premier association for professionals who lead medical practices, as well as the Advisory Board Company whose experts work with hospital and health system leaders across the U.S., and they identify the most pressing strategic and operational issues that they're facing, and then they find out who's doing it the best so that everyone else can learn from them. Max, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Hi, Andrea. It is wonderful to be with you, and I am drinking my coffee now, and it tastes delicious. Awesome. Well, I didn't really feel I needed to ask you if you were caffeinated because the fact that you are working full time at the National Rural Health Association at the same time that you're in grad school getting your master's of public administration and public policy. I mean, you got to have caffeine to make it through that schedule. You're exactly right. And I am thankful that my wonderful mother sent a care package with my favorite coffee just this week. So I am fueled up and ready to do my work and my homework every day. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're going to be hopefully graduating later this summer. Is that right? Yes, it is very exciting. I am in my last class right now before the capstone course of my program and then graduation in August. And I have a 
very awesome trip planned afterwards to go hike Machu Picchu in Peru. We are not sure if the travel will be happening at this point, but I am still looking forward to it and holding out hope that it can happen. Oh, yes, absolutely. Of course, we're doing this interview. It's almost the middle of May 2020. We're all dealing with the coronavirus. And actually, we should give a shout out to all the healthcare workers out there, including your mom, who's a nurse back in Michigan, who are on the front lines trying to take care of all of those with the coronavirus. Absolutely. The work that is being done by these frontline workers, they are heroic. And yes, my mom is a hero of mine and and she is every day working hard, caring for her patients. So yes, a big shout out to all of our healthcare workers out there and a huge shout out to my mom. Yeah, wonderful. So Max, I was thinking before we get into what your job entails at the National Rural Health Association, that it might be a good idea to give our listeners a better understanding of what the NRHA is and what it does for its over 21,000 members. So the National Rural Health Association, or NRHA, we are a membership-based trade association. That means that we represent the interests of our membership throughout the United States in Capitol Hill through education, advocacy, program services, and other events. Being a membership association, we not only have rural hospitals in our membership, we have rural health clinics, we have skilled nursing facilities, we have rural researchers and academic professionals. And what the association does itself is bring all these different types of people who are stakeholders in rural health care, the people working on the ground in rural health care, and it gives them this group of like-minded individuals who all are about the same mission, and that is improving the lives of rural Americans and their access to rural health care. I was reading on NRHA's website, and I'm not sure how up to date these figures are, Max, but it said that 75% of rural counties have been designated as medically underserved areas. Is that still accurate? And if so, what does that mean? Yes, it unfortunately is accurate. And a lot of these areas you spoke about are what we call HIPSAs, health professional shortage areas as well. And what that means is that these are areas that do not have adequate workforce. A huge issue we deal with in rural health care is not only attracting but retaining an adequate workforce for health care in rural communities. Now, there's been the trend in recent years of population altogether leaving rural areas, and that is very difficult to bring in the talent and especially the specialists in rural areas to provide health care when a lot of the population is leaving because it's a cascading effect of the businesses in the area and the community as a whole. And so what we've seen in these rural areas are they are severely at a disadvantage because they have this trouble with bringing in and keeping physicians and adequate workforce in these areas. And that's something we work on really a lot on Capitol Hill and with the administration to try and come up with different legislation and programs and incentives to keep an adequate workforce in rural areas. So what impact 
has the coronavirus had on rural health care? There's been a lot of different impacts. And now when the media has shared really how the hotspots are happening, and there's a lot of attention that is rightfully so based on city, my home state in Detroit, and some of the bigger cities in our country, because they have per capita more people, they have more infections because of that. Now, what really was overlooked a lot in this process was our rural areas. Now, our rural areas luckily had a built-in social distancing. A lot of times they are really away from each other in these areas. I grew up in rural Michigan. It's how it's set up in these communities where you really aren't in uh, big apartment buildings such as where I live in Washington, D.C., where you really are in close quarters with a lot of other people. In rural areas, you are socially distanced already. But what we have been seeing as of lately is that the hotspots are coming to rural areas now. Now, the infection was maybe slow to get to rural areas, but now it's gotten there. And there are some certain types of manufacturing that are in rural areas, from meat plants, etc., that have caused these outbreaks, and they are getting to rural areas now. And what that has done is that it has put rural healthcare providers in a very peculiar state. Now, coming into the pandemic, as we just touched on, with many of these areas being health professional shortage areas and having an inadequate workforce, rural healthcare was in a bad spot coming into the pandemic. Now, adding on to that, we've had more rural hospitals closed last year than in any full year in the past couple decades. So what that spells is a lot of trouble for rural communities and having access to care. So leading up to this pandemic, and now as we have entered it, some actions have really exacerbated these challenges facing rural health care. There were a lot of executive orders put out by different governors that stopped elective surgeries and procedures in hospitals. That may have been a necessary action to take, but what that did for rural providers who already are operating on these slim margins coming into the pandemic, half of rural hospitals nationwide were operating in a loss, 47% to be exact. Now you are taking away a stream of their money for a good purpose, but they now don't have surgeries happening. They don't have money coming in. And if they aren't seeing a surge of patients from the coronavirus, a lot of times they are left with an empty hospital. They're left with an empty office. So what that has done was make the financial worries of these providers heighten to a level that was not happening before coronavirus. It's gotten into a dire situation for a lot of our providers now. So they really were in a bad place coming into this pandemic. And those problems have just been exacerbated throughout it. Oh, my goodness. And you said that 2019, there were more rural hospitals that shut down that year than they had for decades? Yes. Unfortunately, that is what the numbers are. There were 19 rural hospitals that closed last year. And we don't like that record breaking. That is not a record we want to see broken anytime soon. And what is so upsetting is that this year... While we are in a pandemic, we've had 10 rural hospitals close, and it's only May. That trajectory is looking like we may break that record again this year at a time when rural communities 
are counting on their healthcare providers more than ever when there is this coronavirus going around. So that is really troublesome. And a lot of our work is going into trying to help bring solutions to that problem. Gosh, because it sounds like there shouldn't have been a one size fits all mandate, right? To shut down all hospitals in states. It should have been focused on the major cities first because it seems to have taken longer to get out to the rural areas. But before we go down that rabbit hole, let's pivot back to what you're doing right now, Max. Your title is Government Affairs and Policy Manager. Could you give our listeners a sense of what your job responsibilities are, especially when you're not forced to work remotely as you are right now and socially distance? Right. As a lobbyist, that means exactly what it says. You know, lobbying came from when President Eisenhower used to hang out at the Willard Hotel in D.C. and folks would wait in the lobby of the hotel to convince him of how to vote or what to bring up or what legislation they wanted to see passed. That is still true today. We are going to Capitol Hill meeting with members of the House of Representatives, members of the Senate, members of the presidential administration and their agencies, and we are trying to influence the actions they are taking. That is everything from working with congressional offices to get a bill introduced. It's supporting a bill that's introduced. It's voicing opposition to certain bills that are introduced. That is a very long process where we work with our membership and our government affairs committee with inside our membership to really develop what policy actions we are going to focus on and prioritize. And then it's really taking that action to Capitol Hill. So that's really my day to day on the lobbying side is working with our association and our members to recognize their priorities, the most pressing challenges happening in rural healthcare, and bringing that to our country's legislators and really educating them on the problem and persuading them to take actions to solve that problem. Could you take us inside a meeting that you have either with a member of Congress or more likely with their staff? And the same thing within the administration with various government officials, as you are trying to educate them and then nudge them, urge them to support your members' goals. Going into these meetings, a lot of the times you are having these meetings because this member of Congress is working on an issue pertaining to you know your group. So when there's a member of Congress that is debating introducing a piece of legislation that deals with rural health care, we would be there to talk with them about how we see it from our members' perspective. And what that would be like is going to Capitol Hill going to the congressional office, meeting with their chief of staff, their legislative director, their healthcare legislative assistant, sitting down, and it's really a back and forth. It's number one, the congressional office laying out why they think this legislation is necessary and what they think the legislation will accomplish. Also, the likelihood that the legislation will be brought up for a vote and hopefully come up to the floor for a vote and eventually go to the president to become law. So I have talked to the doctor who works at the rural hospital in Kansas. This legislation, this bill would really help them because this would heighten their reimbursements and they would be able to bring on another member of their staff. 
you know, really getting into the details about how this bill may be a positive or a negative for our membership. And I am lobbying them on whether we will be supporting them and helping them garner more support for this bill and see it move forward. Or I'm telling them our concerns with the bill and that not only would we be speaking out against the bill, but perhaps maybe they need to make some changes to the legislative text where perhaps we could be supporting the bill in the future. So it's really this back and forth, them giving us their side of it, us providing education, and then also kind of persuasion with how we as an organization would like to see them handle this issue. And really, it's this conversation back and forth, which gets back to, you know, the science of relationship management and being able to have these relationships with these staffers. So when I do come into this meeting, it's a familiar face. It's a friendly interaction. It's not a hostile meeting. We've talked before. We've emailed. We've talked on the phone. We've met face to face before. So it can be this cordial conversation where we both are educating each other and hopefully working together on an important bill that will be helping their constituents and our membership. You've said something that's, I think, really important here, Max, and that is that one of the ways that you do your job so well is that you actually have to gather information and anecdotes, I'm sure, in addition to data from your members. So you're talking to doctors, you're talking to nurses, you're talking to administrators to get their feedback. And then you're bringing those stories into the room when you're meeting on Capitol Hill to reflect sort of the reality on the ground of what that legislation is going to do. Are there other activities or other products that you produce leave behind materials. I don't know if you do videos. I don't know if you do lobby days where you're bringing constituents from the member's district to D.C. or maybe to their in-district offices to do lobbying with constituents. Right. The word grassroots is used all the time in D.C. and in politics. And we have a wonderful grassroots network at the NRHA. And what I mean when I say grassroots is our membership. It's those folks that are on the ground. And a lot of time in a membership organization, you have members who really care about these issues because it affects them on a daily basis. And so they want to be involved in the advocacy process as well. And what happens is a lot of associations have what we do call these lobbying days. Now, every year we have annual conferences and other conferences pertaining to a certain issue, but we have our policy institute every year. And at our policy institute, we have phenomenal speakers and senators and congressmen coming to share what is happening in rural health care. But we also have one whole day that is dedicated to our members who are coming to D.C. for this event, going up on Capitol Hill and meeting with their elected representatives. So what that is, is before they go up to the Hill and do that, we put together our set of documents for them, our advocacy documents. And these are documents that we will use throughout the year. When we do go to these meetings, we do use them to explain our issues, to show the data, to show the map of the United States and the rural areas and what the situation is in certain states. 
where it's better, where it's worse, what is happening on the ground. So we make these documents and what is included in those are a few different things. One, there are going to be data sets that, that are showing the problem. Now in rural healthcare, we make documents showing these are the operating margins of your rural hospitals, showing they are in trouble, they are doing well, and letting them know how their certain constituency is doing. And so we have that to really spell out the problem. And included in that is an analysis we do of certain legislation and how legislation will affect those problems we lay out. So we are setting up the problem, sharing what the issue is, and then we are showing the legislation that is needed to solve that problem. Or if there hasn't been legislation introduced yet, we spell out what we think needs to be introduced to handle that problem. And so what we are doing is showing them there's the problem, there's the solution. And what we also leave them with is who we are. Who is NRHA? Who are these folks coming to your office? Who are these folks sending you a letter, going to your town hall meeting back in the district office, calling your district office, who they are, what they're a part of, and that is NRHA. And so we explain that we are the Association for Rural Healthcare Providers. We have 21,000 members, and they are from all these different walks of the rural healthcare landscape. Got it. Sounds good. So just broad brushstrokes, Max. Could you take us into a typical day on the job for you before the coronavirus? Because I would imagine to do your job well, and I guess I have more of an insight into it because I also did advocacy for a global humanitarian and development organization. You got to have a lot of energy. You're running around all different kinds of meetings and outside of the lobby day, which is a crazy thing to be managing. But day in, day out, could you give us a flavor for what it's like for you as the government affairs and policy manager? Lobbying day certainly is a lot of excitement. And we have such great members that I just love that day and really seeing all of them and the excitement they have of going up to Capitol Hill. But that is not a typical day. A typical day for me, a lot of the times involves multiple calls with different coalition groups we belong to. So like-minded associations, organizations who are working on similar issues. Usually every day I have at least one call with some other groups that we are working with, whether it's a specific piece of legislation or an event we are doing with them. So usually it's this coalition work is part of my day. Part of the day is focusing on that grassroots that we spoke about previously. And it's checking in with our different internal constituency groups. We have different groups that are the folks that are administrators of hospitals. We have our rural medical education groups. So it's talking to our members and really hearing from them on a daily basis to inform our work in D.C., in between these different communication calls I'm having, I am tirelessly emailing with Capitol Hill staffers, finding out what is happening on the Hill that day, talking to them about a meeting we're going to have or a bill that they have. They are coming to me for hearing how NRHA and our members feel about a certain bill. I am going up to Capitol Hill frequently to meet with staff, to meet with the congressional staff to talk about different legislative priorities we have, 
different bills that they are promoting currently and want NRHA to support. And that's really my typical day. It involves a lot of communication. And really, most days I'm going up to Capitol Hill, going to the House of Representatives, going to the Senate and really conducting lobbying meetings in person, or I'm going to the Department of Health and Human Services for an educational meeting, for a feedback meeting where the administration wants to hear from certain stakeholder groups. So I really am on the move a lot. And it's perfect that this podcast is called Time for Coffee because there's a lot of coffee that is drank in this profession. (laughs) There are a ton of meetings that happen over coffee, as I'm sure you know. So I am at my computer in my office for a short time. The rest of the day, I am up on Capitol Hill or at an administration building, really doing the work like that. Okay. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but as I looked over your CV, before you joined the National Rural Health Association in June of 2019, you spent over two years working for the Medical Group Management Association as a government affairs representative. And MGMA is an association like the NRHA, and it also works in the healthcare industry, but it's not a nonprofit. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Was there a noticeable difference for you when you moved into the nonprofit world at the NRHA? And if so, what was it? That is a great question. And yes, there was a noticeable difference. I loved my time at MGMA and working. It was just, it's a different environment, as you said, and it's differently structured at the National Rural Health Association, and I think it is true about nonprofits across the board, is there is a certain sense of a mission and a shared mission of the organization. And I really felt that the group we have working on our staff really cares about these issues and are committed to our members. And MGMA, we were as well. But the difference at NRHA and being a nonprofit is it really is mission driven. Most of our staff like myself, come from a rural area. We are invested in not only seeing these areas flourish as we know they can, but you know, many of our families are still in these areas. There's this sense of community. And I really do get that from being at NRHA. And I think that is something that the nonprofit space really does afford to its staff. It's this really focus on a shared vision, the shared mission that we all have and feel like it is a huge reason why I joined the organization. Wonderful. So Max, I'd like to flash back very quickly to when you were in college. You went to Michigan State University to the College of Social Science and you got your BA in political science and you were pre-law. Did you know what you were going to do with your degree when you graduated in May 2014? I did not know exactly what I would be doing, but it's funny because I did study political science and pre-law and thought for a while that I would go into law, that I would be a lawyer. Maybe that's because my aunt, my grandma, my uncles are all lawyers and judges. And I really was interested in that. But I still remember being in my government class in seventh grade and learning about Capitol Hill and how a bill becomes a law, that classic video. And I knew I wanted to be involved with that. Now, I didn't know how or where or why, but I knew that I wanted to be in D.C. in this world. So when I was in college, I really can say that 
I knew I wanted to come to DC and eventually be a lobbyist. And as I was lucky enough to intern in Washington, DC, when I was a sophomore in college, I saw the city, fell in love with the area, really got interested and excited about the work being done. So I knew that eventually my goal was to come back after graduating and to be involved in this work. So what was your first job out of school and how did you get it? My first job out of school was as a field representative on a congressional campaign back in my home state of Michigan. Now, campaigns are very interesting work. It is completely different than my work in D.C. On the campaign, it's a really a smaller staff. There is a lot of work that is organizing volunteers, you yourself going out and knocking doors. I remember it was the summertime and I had just graduated and I had to sacrifice many weekends on the campaign because there was parades in the different small towns in the district and the congressman walks in all the parades. So we are there to pass out candy and be by their side. And so working on the campaign was my first job out of school. And it's an experience I'll never forget. And I really did enjoy my time there. You were working as a field representative, and I believe it was for Congressman Tim Wahlberg. Is that right? From Michigan's 7th District? Yes, the Fighting 7th, as they call it. (laughs) Congressman Wahlberg is is still up on Capitol Hill now. And I've had the pleasure of meeting with him and his office and some of my old colleagues from the other side now as a lobbyist. That's terrific. Well, you also secured a job out of that summer work that you did helping him win re-election. You got a job in the congressman's office as a staff assistant. You responded to constituent questions or comments about policy decisions made by the congressman. And you also worked on research for staff as they prepared to write legislation that the congressman planned to introduce in the House of Representatives. You did that for about a year. And then you moved to your first job within the association world. You went to work for the advisory board company. What made you want to take a job there as an associate? How did you find that position? Yeah. So I came to D.C. working in Congressman Wahlberg's office. You know, it was the week before the election on that campaign. And our chief of staff had offered me the job in D.C. and said, hey, if we win, I'll need you to be there next week. So I did just that and drove the U-Haul out with my parents from Michigan and worked as a staff assistant for a while doing those duties you talked about and really being, you know, shown how Capitol Hill works and the job of the legislative staff. And as you said, doing research, which really got me into those issues as well. A certain part of the job is giving tours of the Capitol to constituents from the district, which I really enjoyed doing and learned some very interesting history of the Capitol. But to get to leaving Capitol Hill and going to the advisory board company, I really wanted to get my feet wet outside of the Capitol Hill world. So I really enjoyed my time there, but felt like it was my opportunity to move into healthcare-specific work because I knew I wanted to go into government affairs that way eventually. And the advisory board company afforded me the chance to work internally on their public policy team and to be able to be exposed to some more of the technical work and be a part of an organization that provided strategic advice to healthcare organizations throughout the country. And now I found that job because I had 
two of my friends in DC who worked there. So it was all through word of mouth and relationships that I was able to find that opportunity. And I was very thankful that one of my fraternity brothers from college worked there currently, and another one of my friends did as well. And they were able to talk to me about the job, what the organization's like, and you know, be a referral for me when I applied for the job. Did they tell you that there was an opening or did you see the opening on a job board or on the company website? I did see the opening on a job board. Now in DC, there are some specific DC centric job boards for government affairs jobs that I've signed up for and looked at daily until there was an opportunity that arose that really fit my interests. So it was very important. And I was lucky enough to have a mentor in the congressman's office who shared with me how you go about seeing these openings in these organizations in D.C. And I was just very lucky to have someone give me that knowledge that there are these specific job boards, job lists, websites that cater to these jobs specifically that I was looking for. Max, don't hold out on us. <laughs> what are those job boards called? The one that sticks out in my mind that not only I found job from, but that I've seen my organizations use to recruit other workers is bradtravers.com. Now, Brad Travers is a longtime DC stalwart who really has this great list. He gets the top jobs that are coming out of Capitol Hill and around DC. And there's a small fee that you do pay every month to be on this job list. But I definitely think it was worth it. I believe it was $5 a month to be able to see all these jobs that are specifically in the field that I am interested in. And another would be some other DC-centric lists, such as Washington Post has their own job board that has some great opportunities in DC. And the last would be a site called District Daybook which I know that my organizations have used to recruit on as well. That's fantastic. We'll include links to all of those. And the one I was expecting you to say, and I'm actually, maybe it's good that you didn't say it because I can add it. It's called DC Public Affairs mm -hmm. and Communications Jobs or DC Communications and Public Affairs Jobs. Right. That is a terrific place to find these jobs as well. Thank you for adding that because I did omit that. Not on purpose, but I'm glad you added that because I've heard from friends of mine and colleagues who have found their terrific jobs from that site as well. All right. We will include links to all of those sites in our show notes. I just have a couple of final questions for you. Could you share a time in your professional life, Max, when you struggled? Maybe you even failed at something or screwed something up. But the most important thing is how you were covered and persevered. And maybe if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Everyone messes up in work. And I think a great quality is to be able to recognize that and to really learn from it. I think specifically a time here at NRHA when I am really leading our policy and regulatory work. And when I 
first started back last June, I was thrown in. There was a huge regulation that was out that was really going to affect our membership. And I was told, Max, we need you to handle this. And now this is my first week on the job. And at my previous association, MGMA, I really worked as the support staff and really helped put together some of our regulatory comment letters, but more so helped with the researching, not the really writing the whole thing. And when I got to NRHA and we have a smaller staff, it was really all put on me. And I remember taking a stab at it and it was not successful. Now, my writing was fine, but I did not really have a glimpse quite yet and my finger on the pulse of everything that I should be including that would be affecting our membership. So I remember taking that my draft of our comment letter and sharing that with my boss who let me know that there were some things missing in it and that we needed to add in. And what I did was instead of maybe feeling down about that, oh, wow, you just joined an organization and maybe aren't having the best work already. Instead, I went to our internal experts in our membership, in our government affairs committee and worked with them, the people on the ground who are affected by the issue and asked for their help. And what I found was they were very willing to help and glad to. And I created a relationship with some of our members that to this day I work with on a daily basis if I need their help. Because they recognize that as a lobbyist, as a government affairs professional, I am not working on the daily grind of being in rural health care and that I do need to hear from our members and the people that are doing that. So I was able to not get discouraged that my first regulatory comment letter that would be sent to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services was not terrific and maybe not even very above average. But I learned from that, not only that my organization was not going to be upset or look down on me if I did not do it perfectly, but that there were internal members and folks in our organization that are willing to help. And that the process of creating those relationships and getting on a basis where you are working with others to make the work as best as it possibly can be is very rewarding because I no longer was feeling like it was all on my shoulders to produce this work, that there was people within my organization who love to help who really enjoy helping with these issues. And so I really took that challenge I had and maybe a failure for a short time and turned it into a learning tool and changed it to a point where I no longer was worried that I was going to fail like that. I knew how to approach these topics and use relationships that I had built to succeed moving forward. That is such a great example to share, Max. First of all, it happens to all of us. I salute you for giving it your best try your first week on the job. But also, I salute you even more for finding the subject matter experts and developing relationships with them so that you could have the answers that you needed the next time that you were assigned to respond to another letter or whatever it was that crossed your desk. A lot of getting ahead in your job, and especially, I'm not just saying Max's job, I'm saying any of our jobs, is being scrappy and being able to ask questions and figure it out and not being afraid 
to say, I don't know the answer. In fact, that's the best way to figure out how to deal with all the different responsibilities that you have to do is to ask questions. Asking questions is key to learning more and lifelong learning. It is invaluable to lean on others who have been in the industry longer than you, especially when you're starting your career and early in your career as I am. There are folks who have worked in this their whole lives who really are open to helping, to mentoring. And it's important to be able to reach out to them, communicate with them, and really build that relationship to continue learning. And really, employers and organizations love to see that. They love to see you are growing in your profession. And that is something that I really try to do every day in my job. That's fantastic. So final T for C question, Max. If you could go back to Michigan State and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would first give myself the advice of make sure you are going to all your classes, Max. But for my career, I would say that it's really important to not get bogged down on an image you have in your head of what happens when you graduate. Now, I dealt with this in my senior year. I had a certain vision of what I thought right after I get my cap and gown and my diploma, it was going to be a change that happened right away. Automatically, I would just walk into this nice, cushy job. I had my college degree. I would be getting paid well. Everything would be going great. And when you come closer to graduation and you find out that really that's not how it goes, you really do have to work hard to get to the places you want to be. I would really love to say to myself, don't get deterred by that. Because I know that I got discouraged when I was nearing graduation and didn't have my job on a congressional campaign yet, didn't know exactly what I was going to do. That was really hard for me. So I would say from the beginning of my college career to be open to different things, to be able to explore different ways to get in the field, different internship opportunities, and not to be really set on a certain image in your head for what happens when you graduate. Because I know that made it really difficult for myself as I reached that point to really see how I was going to get where I wanted to go in my career. And if I had more so really maybe talked to a mentor or others in the field, I would have had a greater grasp on what it takes to get to that vision that I had and that it wasn't going to happen right away. And that you have to go through some bumps in the road to get there. So how did you land the job working for Congressman Wahlberg? A lot of it was luck. It was I saw that there was an internship open and I was able to drive there from my school. And so I went and I worked as a district office intern, really helping with some constituent casework. But my time there, I created a relationship with the boss of the district office and I showed that I was a hard worker that I every day showed up with a smile on my face and ready to work and to take on additional projects. I was hungry. And so when it came time to graduate, and I really did not know what I was going to do, I remember I graduated and I reached out to my old boss. And he said, you know what, this is perfect timing because I have an opening and you are a perfect person to take the job. So we met 
And it just happened that it was a successful campaign, which led to me coming to DC. And the rest is my story. Fantastic. So you had a relationship already in Congressman Wahlberg's office because you had interned there? Exactly. And my relationship that I made with my supervisor at that point, it's just how lucky it was. He ended up moving over from the district office to be the campaign manager. So he really held the position that was in charge of hiring the campaign staff. And we had created this relationship where we were very comfortable with each other. He could count on me, knew my working style to where he asked me to be a part of the campaign. And it really happened organically like that. And it went from really, I was a little bit lost on what was going to happen to being very much excited about the possible future of working for the congressman and where that could take me. What I love about that example is that this came out of you interning where you, I'm guessing, were not paid, Mm -hmm. volunteering your time, but working your butt off and so impressing your supervisor that when you followed up and P.S. it took you being proactive and following up and just touching base with your former supervisor, you ended up getting lucky. And he, of course, remembered you and knew that you were a hard worker. And so when you graduated, you actually did get the kind of job that you wanted. Right. And, you know, all those things aligned for me. And I definitely can look back and be very thankful that I was able to find this internship. And I was able to leave that impression on my boss. And as timing had it, it was an election year and it really did work out. I had doubts when I was graduating. What was I going to do? Was I going to need to move back home until I found a job? And it really was that tenacious scrappiness of, hey, I'm just going to reach out to my old boss. You know, I have no idea if there's a job open for me, but I'm going to try. And if you never try, it never happens. And in my case, it worked out. Fantastic. If you're interested in learning how to break into lobbying, how to break into government affairs, especially in the healthcare sphere, check out show notes for this episode to see if Max's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Max, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful and continued good luck to you and the National Rural Health Association and all the incredibly important lobbying and advocacy you're doing on behalf of the membership in communities all over the U.S. Well, thank you, Andrea. It was wonderful speaking with you, and I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.